Welcome to Making Comics, the podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I'm a managing partner of Invader Comics, and I also write Kadoja, that comic, and the upcoming comic, Three Protectors. All right, buddy. Let's get it out of the way. What are you drinking this episode? What am I drinking? I'm uh, I'm kind of running some stuff back because um, <laughs> I it's funny because I'm getting really down low in my high ABV stouts, but darn it, I seem to have a few more. So this is really running it back. Uh, remember, I think a couple weeks ago I mentioned that Martin Vavra had got me multiple double stacks by Great Notion, and that is a... I believe it is a stout. It's a coffee maple pancake stout. Oh. And it is excellent. It's 11%. So it's not quite the the uh, stratospheric heights of 13s <laughs> that I've been downing. Yeah. But honestly, I started to slur a little bit at the end of that last episode as I listened back to it. So maybe maybe a little lower ABV isn't going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, man? Um, you could see a little bit of it here in my frame. This is a little something a little different for me. So I went with Brewery X Nitro Dublin My Vision, a dry Irish stout. It's only 5%, but... Mm. Um, I'm not huge in stouts. Like I'm not, uh, like I don't, it's not something I drink all the time. So, but I was like, Hey, why not? It's a nitro. It's only 5% change up some flavors. And, uh, so far so good. It's, it's pretty decent. Um, not too bad. Not too bad. Nice. Nice. And I mean, on a semi related note, double vision is in my opinion, foreigners best song. Um, double vision is very, very cool. Right you know, on. like, I mean, the the easy it might be easy to throw a few out there, but I I just think Double Vision is the strong one, and that's the one I have most fun singing along to when it's when it's <laughs> when I'm tired of singing. I don't want to know what I want to know what love is or whatever. It is. <laughs> Actually, I don't sing that at all. All but. right, man. So, what was the first thing you got into this week? All right. So this is going to be one of those weird cases where I'm going to say something now, and by the time I listen back to it, I will have traversed a long winding road. Because the first thing I did, it's not the more interesting thing to talk about, but it's the thing that consumed a lot of my thought, is getting ready for the Kickstarter. You know, as we record this, the Kickstarter's week and a half away from launching. Um, and when this airs, the Kickstarter will have launched. So, Three Protectors Kickstarter should be live right now. And you can go over to Kickstarter and find it. I'll probably have some links through my Instagram and all that. And uh, let's get it. Science fiction kung fu, man. So, but what's been this last week is a lot of stuff that's built up to it. Doing final brainstorming on the tiers, figuring out how many tiers I want, um, having some conversations about ideas with the music that goes with it, because I think we want to do a little bit more snazzy stuff with the music. So, for example, I don't know if this tier will end up being a final tier, but I think it would be pretty cool to have the a package or a tier where you can get the Three Protectors soundtrack, the producer pack, you know? And um, so for people who produce music, you'll know this phrase. There's a phrase out there called stems. And what that is, is basically the singled out tracks for your music. So I think it would be pretty cool, and, it, and Mike, it was actually Mike's idea, to do like a cool producer 
type version of the soundtrack where you can get it souped up with the stems for a higher pledge amount. So you wouldn't just get the tracks, you'd get a split out version of the drums, a split out version of the bass lines, a split out version of whatever, and then you can play around with it if that's what you want to do. And we'd probably also include like performance uh, license is what we'd include with it, where um, where that would mean that you could use it in your own stuff if that's what you want to do. Oh. So. Yeah, it's just neat. I think it's neat, and we're trying to do a couple of neat things like that. We also have a tier that's in the works right now called the Master Tier, where you're going to get all kinds of goodies, probably all three covers of the book, special art, uh, probably stickers, you know, just all kinds of cool little stuff that really plays into the story. So there's still more to go on that, and uh, we'll see how well this ages, but that's really been a lot of what it was, you know, just having those kind of... Um, those kind of thoughts, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing that we've been thinking about a lot, which I'm going to go ahead and announce now, because the beauty of it is if it doesn't come through, then I'll just delete this part from the episode before it airs. <laughs> but something I've been talking to Scott about and and also Martin is doing a, a watch party uh, with, during the Three Protectors Kickstarter so what we encourage you to do is stay close to us because right now what we think we're going to do is we're going to do a watch party of a Kung Fu flick, Scott and I, through Amazon Prime on Saturday, March 13th. And it's probably going to be in the afternoon um, U.S. time. Obviously, there's going to be a three-hour time difference, so we got to get that all straightened out. The next week and a half is going to have me do some demos of it to make sure it works well and stuff. And then Scott and I are just going to watch a Kung Fu movie with you. And we're going to probably have the chat function on and just enjoy ourselves. So hopefully you can join us for that. We encourage you to do that. Come watch some Kung Fu with us. Sweet, man. Yeah, that's a uh, doing the Kickstarter stuff. It's always hectic. You got to think about all these different variables that come into the Kickstarter, all these different um things that you need to do all these levels of preparation so yeah and uh so i think that rolls in nicely to my first thing speaking of kickstarters my kickstarter stuff is coming to a close for the second shift issue 10 and 12 um i sent over the pdfs they were dude there was this nagging issue with the drawtober ash can so for my kickstarter if you guys missed it uh the first basic tier was copies of issue 10, 12, and 12 being the Drawtober event turned fully formed comic, uh, and the Ashcan for it. So you get the original drawings for the Drawtober. Well, creating the PDF for 10 and 12 it had its own issues, and but as soon as we saw the things that we needed corrected, they got corrected. And then the Drawtober Ashcan was one of the most simple things that could have been done because it was just the single image, and I just needed them in order. I had the cover the credits page, the back matter, the back cover. Everything was there, um, everything was done. So, but we did the PDF three different times because the first time, I don't know what happened, but when Tristan was uploading it, I guess InDesign switched on some layers. And so one of the pages had all of the sketch lines on it, but everything else was clean. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? And then also he had the orientation. So some of the panels were turned sideways. Like I thought ahead this year around and uh, turned some of the images on its side. Well, so those images will be sideways for the ash can. But he had them facing um, left left out, if that makes any sense. So if you're, you have a book open, the image was basically, the bottom of the image was on the left side. 
So if you've read comics in the 90s, you know that's incorrect. So because you're going to turn your comic book sideways to look at like, a, let's say, a double page splash, right? So you would mm -hmm. turn it on its side and then the, the image is right side up for you now, right? So and then the way you would turn the page was from the bottom. So you'd, mm -hmm. you'd flip the bottom up. So the way he had it was reverse. So it was just like, oh, but it, this doesn't make any sense. So I had him do these two corrections and then he sent the thing back. I looked at it briefly on my uh, computer. I didn't download it. I was because I told him, like, look, it's just this one page. I don't know what happened there. But, uh, you know, if you can just switch those off and we're good and then then flip the orientation. And then so he sent it back over. I saw that the orientation was flipped. The sketch lines were gone and sent it out to the backers. Um, and, uh, one of my buddies, he goes, Hey, um, is this supposed to be there? And that same page that had the sketch lines, there was one, there was the leg of, uh, Maestro Mentallo that had sketch lines on it because it was on its separate layer. And I was just like, God damn it. Like three PDFs later <laughs> on the same image. And it was driving me insane. So like I had to send it back to him. I had told him we were all good too. I was like, Hey man, we're good. You know, um, you know, I'll send over some dough or whatever. And slight amendment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then the next morning, uh, my buddy, you know, Steve, Steve Whistler Jr. Shout out, Steve. He, he was just like, yeah, is this supposed to be here? I don't think it is. And I was just like, nope, it is not. Thank you. And uh, so I had that corrected. And then I just posted it in a general update. I said, hey, guys, I sent everyone the PDFs for all the for the books and the Drawtober. The Drawtober's messed up. Here's the link to the new one, you know. And mm -hmm. then, honestly, I didn't want to go through be because, like, I sent everyone the PDF. Any anyone that backed it, I sent it to them in their Kickstarter DMs, essentially, and then the email they provided. So it's just like I'm not doing that again. Here is the link, everyone. Everyone can have this because it's, yeah. you know, it's just a PDF of my Drawtober stuff. Which, if you follow me on Instagram, it was there. It's free. So, yeah. you know, even if someone just gave a dollar, like, I don't give a shit if they get the Drawtober link. It's not a big deal to me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, Kickstarter sending messages, announcements, whatever you want to call them, updates on Kickstarter. I have this uncanny ability to proofread something eight times before I send it and be like, this is fine. And then the second I send it, I'm like, for fuck's sake, I fucked up. <laughs> you know, like, it is unbelievable. It, it is like, the I swear to God, the universe must shift because I hope I'm not that stupid. You know, you just you just proof it and proof it and proof it. And you're like, yeah, 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 this is great. And then I swear to God, that magic moment where you hit send, it's just like, oh, fuck, there it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like, I've gotten to the point where I almost try to mimic hitting send. Like, okay, Keith, you hit send. Now read it, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, no, still looks good. And then I actually had sent like, fuck, there was something wrong. I can't believe myself. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I was about to lose my mind because so he sends over the PDFs, right? So I was I was going crazy because so every time Tristan sent me a PDF, I would send it to my digital comic reader on my iPad. Um, and I opened up the last file, which I thought was the last file. And I go to the page that had these corrections, these other corrections. And there was, the word was misspelled on it. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Because we've already fixed this, you know? And, and so I was about to lose my mind. I'm like, wait, 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 let's go back. And then so I like went to the computer and I looked at it on the computer and I was like, I opened up the wrong one on my iPad because that's where my reader is. Yeah. And because uh, I had like three different versions of the same book on my iPad and I just opened up an old one. So it was, it was the correct one and I was freaking out for a second. But, um, 
yeah, so I got those all sent over to my my printer, and then my buddy caught the error, right? And then so as soon as he catches it, I text my printer, hold on, stand by on the ash cans. He goes, okay. I was like, oh, thank God. So, yeah, and um, got it corrected and sent it back over him. And guess what? They're already done. He already sent me the tracking number. The books are already in the mail. This literally nice. happened yesterday. I sent him the, the files yesterday. And, and they're all done now, and, and they're being shipped to me. Yeah, man. So his turnaround time was so insane. Because I, I asked him when I sent him over. Actually, Monday. I, uh, I'm wrong there. Uh, a couple of days ago. So on Monday, I sent over the files. And I just said, hey, so what's your turnaround time looking like? I'm just curious. And he goes, I'll have them, to you by, I'll have them out by Wednesday. And it's like Monday. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, it's so yeah. good. And uh, yeah, I got the tracking number. So hopefully he's in Arizona. So hopefully I'll see the books by Friday at the latest. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. That's the advantage of working with small shops. You know, my printer's lead time is four weeks. And they're pretty hardcore about it. So, um, so yeah, man, what can you do? But, uh, but yeah, that's the advantage of having good relationships and, and local print shops that you can run that stuff through. So, yeah, man, that's badass. Yeah, he was also sending me a whole bunch of uh, different product that he's doing now. And he has like a gold toner that he can use. And I was like, oh, that might be something for the next, you know, the next book. But, um, you know, not this one, obviously. I already had my tears set and everything. So, um, yeah, I've managed to bang all of that stuff out. Once he told me the lead time too, I was like, well, let me get you those Kickstarter exclusive prints and let me get you those bookmarks today. So, you mm-hmm. know, everything can just be done. And he, he offers this cool service where he'll bag and board your stuff too. So um, if you request it, then he'll do it. You know, obviously for a little fee, I think it's like, I think it's like 30 cents or whatever. I think you pay 15 at the shop. So he's just charging you double because he bags and he puts them in it and everything. So when they're yeah, shipped, man. they're a little more protected. Um, I yeah, you. I went for the, the exclusive covers being bagged and boarded and then just the standard edition. It's like, we'll run the risk of a couple of them getting banged up in, in transit. Like I'm cool with that. Yeah. 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 I got you. I got you. Yeah. That's, that's badass, man. Uh, again, as one Kickstarter ends, another begins mm-hmm. the circle of life. I, I really glommed a lot of work together for myself because at the same time that I'm pushing all this stuff to be ready for the three protectors Kickstarter that, that begins March 7th. I've also promised my artist, Luke Horseman, for uh, for Kadoja issue two. You know, he's like, I'm ready to start March 1st. He actually just sent me a note a few days ago. Like, you still good for March 1st? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Except I don't have a fucking script, <laughs> you know, but he, he, he doesn't need to know that. So um, so I am cranking out the script. And I'm happy to say that right before this, I ended up writing what I'm doing. I really wanted to pay attention to the process this time because... I happen to co-host a podcast about process. So I tried to take as good notes as possible through the process here. And so I had the skeleton and I believe that this issue is going to have five scenes, maybe a sixth because the pages may need a little bit extra something. Um, so as I'm as I'm working through the scenes, what I decided and and to know me is to know that I like planning out my time so that I set a goal and then I make that goal. You know, it's the whole like you don't want to plan to fail; you only fail to plan. And uh, and so what I what I decided starting a couple days ago is I'm gonna let every scene take two days. And so today I did part one of scene two. And and I I'm kind of switching up my method of doing it, and it's working really cool. It sort of happened organically. 
And I think a lot of it was because I just needed to focus my brain. So here's what happened. I said, here's a scene and it's four pages. I'm just sticking to a lot of standard four page scenes right now. Page one, here's what the big thing I want to happen is. So it's basically a mini skeleton. You know, you have the skeleton where like this important thing happens in a scene. And then you have the mini skeleton within it where it's this thing needs to happen this page. This thing's going to happen this page. This thing's going to happen this page. So then I've turned the skeleton into basically one page at a time, the main thing. Then I keep on breaking it down into panels. So here's what was interesting. For the first scene I wrote, my process was go from the skeleton to what I want on each page to the dialogue because there was a little more dialogue that happened there. Then I I ended up putting in the um, stage direction, let's call it. So the dialogue happened first. Then I went back and filled in the stage direction. And then I did the final thing, which is panel size and panel shot. You know, we've talked about this before. Since I don't know how Luke likes to work, I'm just overcooking it. And then if he wants to dial back on it, that's fine. But it's easier for me to overcook it and dial back than undercook it and add it. So for whatever reason, panel size and camera shot are the things that if if I think about them, they almost interrupt my flow. The best way for me to ensure flow in the first scene was for me to write all the dialogue out and then fill in the direction after that and then go with, you know, panel size, whatever. I then did my second scene today, at least part one of it. And it didn't work that way. And I think it's because it's action heavy. So the dialogue didn't come first for this second scene. The process was different. So for this, the process was start with the skeleton, lay out what needs to happen each page, and then go with the stage direction, then follow it up with actually the panel size and the shot, and then I'll add dialogue tomorrow. So I found it interesting that this cool, like, just keep on adding details as you go is really working well for me. But also what's interesting is the same thing didn't work for different scenes. You know, one scene, I really wanted the dialogue to be the anchor. And then the other scene, I wanted the action to be the anchor and the dialogue follows. And I, you know, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Because if you have something that's super action heavy, then you really want to set the action in stone first because you're going to have to make some choices about the dialogue. You know, like Scott mentioned this, I think, last episode. It's something we've hinted at a little bit before. There's a fine line between having characters react to things that happen on the page versus having characters explain action that is on the page. You know, you don't want them to explain things that are on the page, but you do want them to react to it. You know, like if I'm on a space cruiser and that space cruiser hits an asteroid, I'm not going to say some smart shit. I'm going to react like, whoa, we just got hit by a fucking asteroid. You know, so you have to toe that line a little bit because as Scott mentioned, you know, last episode, the episode before, I can't remember, what you don't want is for people doing nothing but narrating stuff that that the reader can see for themselves. But you also don't want to go too far the other way, way where they almost seem oblivious to the action that's happening because you're trying to create layers between the action and the dialogue. Right. You can, you can, uh, yeah, you can do that like in a simple way. Let's use this asteroid scenario. So it would be like they're in a spaceship. The spaceship gets hit by the asteroid. One guy goes, what the hell was that? And then the, then the other person goes, 
there's a you know a meteor shower coming our way or something like that so it's exactly um if it's not as clear in the art as to what's going on like that's a good way to explain what's going on uh visually and and with dialogue without it being handholdy <clears throat> and that's my that's my thing with with comics is i don't like handholding and uh but that's just a way for like if you have a character that is kind of oblivious they're like what the hell was that it's like it's an asteroid you idiot you like you know it's like because they're not paying attention right so it explains what's going on but it's also interactive for the characters so there's a way to do it where it's not egregious yeah and i actually had a spot where i you know again i started to fill in a little dialogue in the scene and uh i, I was trying to figure out how to you know again i didn't want to have this action happen that went unexplained but I didn't want to over explain it. And the way that I figured it out was there's a person who can't see the action yet and needs to be informed by the person in the field what the action is. So then they can say, what is going on there? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then what the and obviously the character does it who's in the field in a way that's not handholdy because they're just trying to brief the, the person. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. again, if I got hit by an asteroid and had a near close encounter and there was somebody I needed to brief, I wouldn't say shit. I nearly got hit by an asteroid and had a close encounter. I'd just be like, asteroid incident, we're moving on. You know, whatever mm-hmm. it's going to be, right? Yeah. So, again, those are some things that you can do that explain it, but don't explain it all the way, or again, to use Scott's phrase, are too hand-holdy. So, um, anyway, I'm I'm halfway through scene two. Um, believe it or not, even though that's not very far into the comic, as long as I just keep doing this Two, one scene every two days, I'll basically be done by March 1st or 2nd, which is beginning of March, and we can get this party started. Of course, the dumbass thing is that I coincided this exactly with the grunt work that has to happen with my Three Protectors Kickstarter, setting up the tiers, blah, 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 etc. But you know what? That's fine. I, I have some time this weekend so and over these next couple days, so it should be pretty good. Um, I did want to mention one more thing since we're here on Kadoja issue two. This is Kadoja Symphony of Madness issue two now. Issue one hasn't been kickstarted yet, but that'll be coming soon from what I expect. We're going to get the three protectors kickstarter behind us and then I'll follow that with the Kadoja issue one kickstarter, which I'm, I'm really excited to get out there as well. As I was going through these scenes, you know, tying back a little bit to this three act structure idea. This fourth arc is the the mega climax. You know, again, to use like Avengers, the last couple of movies. I mean, so much of that shit was just pure action because we've been building to, I can't remember what the two movies are called, Endgame and something. Infinity War. And Infinity War, that's right. Infinity War and Endgame. I think in that order. They all blur together, really. <laughs> but... There's so much action in that that it makes a lot of sense for, you know, it makes a lot of sense in general if you have a story arc for the final entire issue of the arc to be action. Where it starts to get wonky is if the entire final arc is action, you know, and that's kind of the spot where I'm in now where there's a lot of shit that's going on. I could make this entire arc action, but I don't want to do that because the thing about action is it reads fast. And so in this particular issue, in issue two, I really had five action scenes set up at at first. And I'm like, dude, that is a lot of motherfucking action, man. I really need to figure out a way to break this, you know, 
tamp this down a little bit and maybe have like three slash four scenes be action and then one slash two, maybe a short second scene, be something that's a little more like, whew, let me take a breath, let me use my brain a little bit instead of just following this crazy action. Because the way I'm trying to write the action in both of these scenes is have it be very panicked. That's the point of this. And that's the tone I'm going for. So, you know, 22 pages of panicked action is going to be panicked and it's going to be fast. And again, I just, the point isn't, the point isn't to get people's heart rates up to like 180 for the whole issue. You need to kind of have some ramp ups and ramp downs, you know. I have a perfect, like, uh, pacer for you for one of those scenes. So, okay. Kadoja is either on the hunt or being hunted by whatever. So it, it goes from the fight, it goes to Major Cruz or whoever, right? And then it cuts to the next scene, and it's, it's these two guys, and they're looking at this bridge. And this go, guy goes, <laughs> that's a pretty nice bridge. And then the, guy, the other guy goes, I guess, if you're into that sort of thing. And then the other guy goes, I am, because I like gargoyles. <laughs> and then Kadoja lands on that bridge and then he jumps out of the scene and then and then the last panel of that page that guy goes I really liked that bridge <laughs> what what first of all I like I like a lot of things about that I like I like that you're trying to create the new oh my god we killed Kenny here <laughs> because I hope you just keep bringing that up. I can't even, oh I know what the thing that I brought up the last two episodes is but I don't know if I can fit it in organically so we'll see. But yeah, I like the fact that that's a callback. So so well done. I'm not sure it's going to make the issue but I do appreciate your effort. <laughs> well, it, it's lesser for it if it doesn't make it in but you know that's for the that's for the making comics uh, world to judge. <laughs> we'll we'll make that we can make that theoretically. We could make that the making comics tier of the Kickstarter, <laughs> where we will have three bonus pages involving <laughs> the guy who likes the gargoyle bridge. <laughs> if you back this tier, Scott, we'll draw that one page. <laughs> and then we will add that in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, uh, yeah, man, that was so that was my second thing. So a lot of a lot of good progress, a lot of work ahead of me. And by the time we talk next week, I should be done pretty much with issue two and I can talk more about it then nice um i have been rocking wanders of melisanda 3 so i am on the fast and furious pace of trying to do a panel and a half a day i'm more or less on pace uh, i'm at least doing one panel and then starting a little bit of the next one but depending what it is it's that's what affects how fast or slow i'm going on that half right um the one thing i haven't been implementing is the slack method the Scott Lost Accelerated Comic Method has not been implemented in issue three. So uh, today I actually started doing it. I'm like, you know what? I have two panels on this page that I just don't kind of want to fuck with. I don't want to do it. So I started looking over my thumbnails for the next pages. And I'm like, I can totally mess with those pages right now. That's something I feel like doing. So that's the benefit of the Slack method is you don't have to sit there and futz with these panels that you just don't have the energy to do. Um, I was able to knock out my panel for today relatively quickly. Like I did it, I think in the first two hours of the day, it was done. And um, I'm like, yeah, what, what am I going to do now? And I started messing with the other panels. Like it's, this just isn't doing it for me. And then the next scene is kind of like a playful fight scene. And I'm like, oh, 
I'm gonna choreograph this. Like I like choreographing fight scenes, and and uh, it's something where I think I'm going to expand what it is. Like initially, when uh, Ed and I were going over the issue, how many pages we want, he knows I want basically 20 to 22 pages uh, per story. I want to keep these things rolling out, and if I go too far past 22, it just takes so much longer. It's just like you know they need to be done. We need to get in and out on these things, and um, I think it's producing nice books. Like I think. Second Shift 10 is one of the one of my favorite stories that we've done so far. And um, it gets a lot done in, you know, uh, 22 pages or something like that. 20 to 22 pages. So uh, for Wanderers, we, we got it to 22. But there was this scene that just needed more. So, you know, like for you creators out there, sometimes you like, especially if these books, they're books you're doing. You're not working for... Uh, a third comp a third party company or corporate comics or whatever these are your books so you're able to add pages at your leisure more than likely if you're if this is your project um you know if it's not you can always talk to the creator and say hey i think this this actually needs a little more breathing room so that's where i was on this fight scene it was just like okay it's kind of like a training fight scene but it's one page and for wanderers my layout is four panels or full or double page splashes or full page splash. Like that's all I do for wanders is four, four panels a page or splashes. So I'm like, this isn't enough. Like I can't do a, a training fight scene in four panels. Like you got, there's no time. So, um, I'm just adding two more pages. I'm like, fuck it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's my book. Um, you know, Ed was looking out for me, keeping the, the page count small, but, Fuck it. I'll do two more uh, fight scene panels. And, and if you guys look at manga and anime, uh, those panels aren't... It's not, like, too oh, too convoluted. Yeah. Like, like they, they draw drinking a soda to four pages sometimes. Yeah, it's just, like, giant shot of the face, you know, with, with speed lines, you know, them screaming. And then it's the action, and then the counter, yeah. and then the other guy's face. So you can... I can do, and and I've talked about this before, I think Drawtober next year, it's going to be Wanderer. It's going to be just 30, 31 days of a fight scene because that's going to equate, you know, more or less uh, an issue of Wanderers. So, Kobe Bryant, how much more scene does my scene need? More scenes. (laughs) (laughs) So many more scenes. Um, Yeah, so that's that's what I've been uh, dealing with. Uh, That's basically my second thing for the week. I think... Those were the two things that occupied my week the most, and I'm trying to stay on track with the panel a day, and it's going really well. So I've already knocked out five pages. Yeah, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, So I I have a third thing, and I'm only mentioning it now because I would probably table it, except I know that the next two weeks I'm going to have so much that I'm going to talk about that this is probably going to fall by the wayside. So I I continue to make progress through my novel. And I wanted to mention it because I think I have quoted this before, that if you if you go right now to the masterclass.com or whatever it is website, there's a, a masterclass taught by Neil Gaiman. And I've given this quote before. Neil Gaiman says in his like promo video, the second draft is where you get to act like you knew what you were doing all along. <laughs> I would like to amend that for the Keith Foster version. The sixth draft is where you get to act like you knew what you were doing all along. <laughs> because it shit is really coming together, dude. You know, like, I am at the two-thirds mark of the book. And I'm in, you know, what you might call, like, the complicating rising action of Act 2. 
Um, so, so shit, you know, the, the way that my book sort of works out is that you have an act one. I'm trying to stay true to last week's episode to, you know, equate to the, the act structure. I sort of have an act two in two parts. And, and there's the discovery stuff at the beginning of act two. And then there's some shit starting to pop off and complicating action at the end of act two, which leads to the climactic action in act three. So I'm now in the second part of act two where like, Shit's popping off. And what's cool about it is, as I'm going through these scenes, what I'm realizing is that the book has always been, like, clear in my head. And I think I've tried to be a little too, like, quote, literary, in that I've tried to keep action away or keep the reader thinking. But I think what I have done in my own estimation is... I haven't laid it out cleanly enough for the reader, clearly enough for the reader. And what I'm doing this draft is I'm I'm pushing it just a little bit more forward and making some more, I'm adding some things that make the links that much more clear. They're not 100% clear, but at least they're there. So a thinking reader or a person who's paying attention can be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is very clear to me. And it's really cool because as all this stuff comes together, it's like, oh, and then this thing I did back in, you know, scene three can come to fruition here. And I can just draw that line a little more clear than I ever have before. And then that makes this thing more clear, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been a great week for me to dig in and just make some of these things a little more out front. And by making them out front, it's just made to me the the end of the second act really start to jump and uh, and percolate, which is which again really excites me, and um, and you know that a great indicator for me of when I'm excited to work on stuff is when I'm like I want to work on this right now, you know, like you you hit your page count or you hit your editing page count in my case, and you're like I want to keep going, and um, with the la- with today being an exception because I had some other things to do, you know, like with Kadoja, I only have time to write so much shit in a day. So it's hard for me to double dip with both the novel and Kadoja on most days. So today I had to sacrifice the novel a little bit to Kadoja, but tomorrow I'm going to set my alarm to wake up that much earlier so I can wake up, do my novel, and then at least check that box and then worry about thinking about Kadoja later in the day. So anyway, I'm in a good spot. And it's cool to have this stuff come together. You know, that's a tongue-in-cheek thing about the sixth draft because novel writers who know what they're doing can probably fix shit on the second draft. You know, my novel instructor basically only needs two, maybe three drafts to get a novel done. I'm learning how to write a novel. I've been learning how to write a novel through the drafts. So when I finished my third draft, it was probably about where most people's, most like frequent writers' first drafts would be. Because I'm learning, I'm figuring all this out. You know, I started at ground zero in terms of really understanding how to write this stuff. So that meant that there were a couple garbage drafts there at the beginning <laughs> before I uh, I jumped off. But you know, I'm happy it's in a good place, and uh, and again, hopefully we're uh, we're entering the home stretch of me being done with this thing. Yeah, artists will have that same thing where you hit your stride and you just want to keep going. Um, I'm a night owl, so I'll be in bed sometimes and. And my girlfriend wants to go to bed at a particular hour, so I'll be in there with her, but I'll also be in there working. And she'll be long knocked out, and I'll just keep going because I'm just in a groove. It's like, well, I want to work on this now because I feel good now. And yeah. it's just, I like, I just let it keep rolling. You know, it's just like, yeah. I can't be disturbed right now. I have to keep doing what I'm doing or else 
I'll lose the mojo and this is going to take me twice as long tomorrow, maybe, you know, so, so let's yeah. get it done while, while the ink is slinging. Yeah, man. And I'm a, and I'm a morning person. So for me, it's, you know, I figured that out a long, long time ago that the best way for me to punch through something like this when I have a lot of shit to do is just wake up even earlier and use that dead time. You know, again, like my wife, I don't have to wake up my wife and kid. My kid, I wake up at 6.15 and my wife, I wake up at 6.30 if she's taking like the kid to school or something like that or to the drop point for school. Um, so that means the earlier I wake up, the more time I can just use to dedicate to myself. Um, again, obviously, I like if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I like waking up and then reading a couple comics with my morning coffee, but sometimes other duty calls. So if I'm awake enough, then I'll start cracking on that novel first thing once I get that first sip of coffee in me. Sometimes I wake up and edit podcasts. It just it depends on how much is on my plate, you know, so um, tomorrow is going to be one of those days where I probably wake up, knock back one comic and then just get on with the novel before I even get to the rest of my day. Yeah, priorities, man. Yeah, you got to do what's uh, what's most poignant at the time. So if uh, you know nothing's pending, then yeah, read a couple of books. But hey, if you got some shit to do, get the shit done. That's the only way. Yes, you, sir. That's the only way you get things done. For for a lot of yep. you creators out there, this that's a uh, the thing is making time for all of this. You know, learn learn by our example here. It's just like, you know, we have only so much time to work on these comics. We maximize that time as much as possible. So uh, the, your book will never come out if you don't work on it. So, Yeah, true that. Right on. Okay, well, this episode, our main subject matter is hard things to draw. <laughs> so um, this... <laughs> Would you like me to go first? Uh, yes. Absolutely everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> uh, for the writing side, for me, drawing conclusions. So... <laughs> Um, yes. All right. So this episode kind of it's self-explanatory things that are hard to draw. So uh, number one, the number one thing that I think artists have trouble with drawing. Keith, do you have an idea? I don't know. Hands. Hands. Feet. Very good. Number one. Yeah. Number one. On I did it. <laughs> Family feud, bitch. I'm going to play this and I'm not going to pass. You did it. World's best cup of coffee. Um, yeah. <laughs> So number one is hands. This is, from what I understand, is number one. Um, hands are not that big of an issue for me. I'm actually somewhat decent at them. And then now that we have these magical things called smartphones with reverse fl flipping cameras, uh, they're not a problem at all. So pretty much any angle that you would need to draw hands at, if you're struggling, take a photo of your hands. You know, if you don't have hands and you know someone that does, take a photo of theirs. You know, I do it all the time with my girlfriend. Like, if I need to draw a female character in a hand in a certain position, I just borrow her. I say, okay, put your hand like this, and then I'll move around her to where I need the camera, you know? And, like, I'll match it up with my, my sketch as much as possible. I'm like, okay, that's the right angle. So this is a way you get around drawing something like hands. If, if, if you don't know what you're doing, use that as a resource, but don't let it be a crutch. Make sure you're retaining some of this information. What? Why are hands so hard to draw? Because they're weird looking. There's just, there's not much to a face. Like, in my opinion, it's basically an oval, an oval shape. And you put some nose and you put some eyes, depending how high you put the eyes and how big you make the nose or how small you make the mouth. Like, it all changes how the face looks. So there's just, it's, it's kind of simple in that sense. But hands, the dexterity, the angle, like... To do something complicated like, oh, this is like, oh, I'm holding a glass of wine, right? 
Like this is a weird position, but you know mm-hmm. what it looks like. He's holding it in like in like cradle the snifter at the bottom. Yes, with your thumb, index, and middle finger with the, position. Yeah, with the stem going in between uh, your your mm-hmm. middle fingers there. So it's just like if you see the pose, you know the pose. You know what it is. So you want to make sure you're nailing those details when you're drawing these things. So don't don't just use your imagination because more than likely. You haven't retained that much information so far. Like when you draw from your imagination, you're, unless it's like a, a mythical beast or something, something you've never drawn before or seen, more than likely you're going off of somewhat of a memory of, of your idea of what that thing looked like. That's what drawing from your imagination is. When you study enough, you're drawing from memory. You're drawing exactly from memory. So um, just keep that in mind. You know, use it, use photo reference when needed. Don't let it become a crutch, but for drawing your hand in like specific positions, it's greatly needed and don't feel a way about it. Don't feel like it's cheating. It's something that you need to do to retain that information. And then maybe next time you need to draw that hand in that position, you'll remember how you did it. And, and I find that I do that a lot. Like I heard hands were hard to do. So I focused on hands a lot. I would draw a lot of hands in different positions, do, do a hand study for an hour or so. And so you start to retain some of that information. So two, I would say, is feet. I guess people have trouble drawing feet. I don't find feet that difficult to draw either. Um, I actually need less reference for feet because to me, they're not as, um, you know, like you don't have that same dexterity in a foot as you do a hand. You can put a hand in a whole bunch of different position positions but feet not so much like you kind of you know you have kind of lifting you have the running position you have the standing you have the tippy toes or whatever so there's only so many positions you put you put your feet in so for me i find it a little bit easier bare feet or feet in shoes boots sneakers etc um i can do both pretty pretty good um shoes obviously way easier and like i have a knack for drawing shoes i don't uh, maybe it's because i was a sneakerhead for a short period of time where I was collecting sneakers at sure. a rapid pace. Um, but also it's just something I've kind of always known how to draw was just feet. Cause there's not really much to it. Um, at certain angles, it's very simple, you know, like the side view, you're looking at a, a triangle wedge shape. You know, if you're looking at it straight on, it's kind of this, uh, it's almost a triangle in front of a block. So your mm-hmm. heel would be the block. And then if you're looking at the front of the foot, like the top of your foot comes up and then your toes are in the front, right? So it would just be the flat part of is the toes. And then you make this triangle shape and you put those two together, you have a forward facing foot. So my brain just kind of naturally breaks them down. And then I've seen shoes in many different positions and I retain that information. So for me, those are relatively easy. I wonder if the reason that hands and feet are tough to draw is because they are um, they are all business. You know what I mean? Like if you're drawing, like the face is where the money is. Because generally if, if people are looking at a comic panel, they're going to pay attention to the face. The face is where you're going to sell so much of what happens in the dialogue. You know, like while I don't want to conjure these things up off the top of my head, you can have the same line of dialogue. But the way you emote the face is going to determine how the reader interprets that dialogue. And then the body, especially if we're doing like action comics, 
things like, you know, the torso, the way the arms are swinging, the, you know, the punches, the, the cool shit. That's not the hands. You know what I mean? It's sort of like the arms and the hands are an extension of it. But if you're doing like cool kick-ass action, then you've probably got arms and legs doing cool things. And then you have the fucking hands and the feet, which just sort of have to be there because they're connected to all the stuff that you really want to tell the story with. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that as I go, but it sort of checks out a little bit in that the hands and feet aren't doing the work of the panel. That's the general body and the general face. Does that make sense? Uh, it does, uh, depending on the scene. So if it's an action scene, the hands and feet are everything, especially if you're doing hand-to-hand combat. So like uh, Jack Kirby, the fist punching forward, it's his most famous pose. He does it so many times in different ways, slightly up, slightly different positions. That's his thing. Um, you know, Eric Larson mimics that as well. But uh, yeah, those are big parts of it if you're in an action scene. But like you said, if you're having a conversation, or, uh, you know, back and forth, they're angry, they're happy, they're sad, whatever it is, you're selling all of that in the face. Um, feet, I would say, I would say the difficult part of feet would be everything attached to it because you really have to make that foot look grounded on the pl- on the plane. So wherever they're standing, you, you really need to see the weight of it. Like you, you know, like you're like, oh, I put all my weight to the left side. And it's just like, how do you draw that? How do you draw all the weight to the left side? And and so it's just one of those things that you get better with at time. And, um, you know, if you do have problems with drawing feet, there's many a book for that, obviously. And, uh, or you, you know, like I said, you, you got a, you know, a reverse flip facing camera on your phone. You know, flip that around. Take your uh, take a picture of your feet or your whole body in certain positions, and uh, you know, try to mimic that. Draw that over and over again. Yeah, and if and if you need references on feet, there are many websites on that, but some of them are weird. So be be mindful. <laughs> most most are weird. <laughs> a severe majority are in fact weird. Yeah, and we're we're not but, we're not kink shaming here. If you're into feet, you're you're into feet. Whatever, we're into comics. Yeah, if you're into feet, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we're exactly hey, whatever. As long as you're listening to the pod, we- right? weird, weird. You can interpret however you want. <laughs> <laughs> weird because not more people are into it. Like if that's your thing, I don't know. Um, so the next one I would say is backgrounds. Backgrounds is a huge issue for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like drawing backgrounds. I hate drawing backgrounds, but I draw a lot of them. Um, second shift takes place in the city. So a lot of, there are always, always buildings around. There's always cars around. Um, so you, you got to deal with it. Uh, one thing that helps greatly. So obviously there's tutorials on one point perspective, two point perspective, three point perspective. Um, you can definitely look those up on YouTube. It'll be easier for you to watch someone do it than me to try to explain it on a podcast where you're just listening. Um, number one is obvious, like one point perspective. It's a single point of origin where your lines are uh, emanating from. And you draw everything basically going to that vanishing point. Um, again, look it up on YouTube. Too hard for me to explain without drawing it in front of you. Um, but something that will help greatly, if you are working digitally, if you have a program called Procreate, there is a perspective tool. This helps greatly. So I have a basic understanding of one point, two point, and three point perspective. So I know where to roughly lay those vanishing points out at. Um, With Procreate, you can mess around with it as much as you want. If you're not great with it, you don't know too much about it, number one, make sure please do go watch a video. You need to visually see what people are talking about, and then you can implement it while in Procreate 
uh, mimicking those things. So it's a great function. Um, I wish I can uh, see, I should have done some research here. I should have done my homework before I did this because, but I'm on my iPad, so I can't show you, but there is a uh, button on the top left. You click it and there's, it'll say perspective or it'll say a drawing assist. There you go. So flip on the drawing assist or edit drawing assist, and then it'll give you symmetry, um, perspective, and a couple of other options, whatever those are. But that's not what we're talking about today. So look for perspective and mess with your vanishing points. And you can draw a nice little cityscape in a very short period of time. So it's very helpful. Uh, I've done it to the point where I did a couple of skylines just because it was so fast to do. And I just saved them. And then I was drawing a city scene, a fight scene on top of a building. And I'm like, I need a skyline. I just went into that file. I grabbed it. I copied it and I pasted it into the background. and It was done because I already done the work beforehand. So, uh, nice. yeah, mess with that for sure. Yeah. So uh, a couple things. One, don't, don't you dare start doing research on me, man. You know what I mean? Like part of, part of the Scott lost gestalt is for you to rhyme off the dome. Right. So yeah. Now I did a little bit of research and, and here's what I did because what I thought this episode was about initially was backgrounds. So the, the hands and feet thing, that was just a, a, I mean, a highly skilled guess or a lucky guess, depending on, on your perspective. But I, I pulled five comics from my to read stack and I just looked I made notes of what the backgrounds were because I wanted to get a feel for the background so you want me to name the comics because I'm happy to name the comics and then just blur them all together because it's a pretty cool uh, cross section so the comics that I selected randomly from my stack were Daredevil Man Without Fear number 3 Something is Killing the Children number 19 Witches number one. That's witches with a Y, like Witches number one um, from Image. It's it's a bit older. Scott Snyder Ec- and uh, Jock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ec- excellent number one. That is a current book. And Superior Spider Man number twelve. Those are the books that I pulled from my stack, and I just flipped through them real quick and took note of the backgrounds. And it was really interesting because each of them had their own unique thing. You know, like. What I tried to do for the first time in my life was look at these backgrounds from a level of like craft and a level of exertion. And I asked myself, how much effort did people put into these backgrounds? That's what I was curious about, right? And for books like Something is Killing the Children 19 um, and uh, let's see what else, Superior Spider-Man, those were very like minimal. Like in a lot of cases, the backgrounds did not in fact exist it was simply a, a blank color, like black or blue or brown, or it would be a gradient color that would give you a feel of texture, but it was really just a gradient, you know? So I thought that was interesting, and I thought that was telling that those are two more mainstream comics. Um, for Witches and for Excellent, there was a lot more detail there. But I think what was interesting about the detail, and don't get me wrong, there were some spots where they were like one color or a gradient, etc., but... You could tell that, you know, all in fact, in case of all five of these issues, it was what served the story. Because in general, when you had these solo color, gradient color type backgrounds, it was because there was action going on and the action was all that mattered. So why do you even give a shit about the background? The background is only going to take away from the action. 
Um, and then what I found most interesting about Man Without Fear, which I think is John Romita Jr. doing that, is it had the greatest variety of backgrounds. There were backgrounds that were speed lines. There were detailed backgrounds that was like the interior of a house. Um, there were some grayed out interiors, uh, or sorry, grayed out backgrounds, which would draw your attention to the foreground. So what I was most impressed with was the variety of techniques within that, within that one issue of Daredevil, where in the other cases, you know, you could tell, I don't know, maybe they were doing it for speed, for emphasis, or for whatever, but there was less variety there than in something that was a bit older and done by, you know, a modern-day kind of master of the form, right? So the main takeaway to me is it was always what served the story, and it, it worked every time. I mean, yeah, if I went from a craft perspective and said, like, yeah, they made the background one color, so, you know, whoop de doo that's not a lot of effort, yeah, but it worked for the story, and that's what matters, you know? So if you're the kind of person that hates doing backgrounds, then there are a lot of things that you can do simply by just buying, you know, going through stacks of comics and seeing what works for other people and then using those things. And yeah, if you want to couple that with your inclination to hate backgrounds or do less effort, you can make a lot of shit work as long as you make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a trick I learned, uh, or a technique I should say, I don't know if it's a trick, but you can call it a trick, was from uh, Sean Gordon Murphy. He said to, he, what his method is essentially, you can do one background per page. And then you don't need to mess around with the background in any of those other pages if you can help it. Um, you need your establishing shot. And obviously if you follow Sean Gordon Murphy's work, he draws the shit out of backgrounds and he will draw every single little nook and cranny in that background. So you're not getting ripped off. Um, so you can do your establishing shot, which will set everything up. And then if your characters are talking, you know, in that scene or whatever, um, you don't need to necessarily draw every single detail of that background. Um, if you're on top of a city, yeah, you probably might need to draw a little bit, but you can also do that undershot where you're basically getting the sky in the background. So there's tricks you can do to where you can minimize how much background you need. Um, and some artists, they just forego it completely they go you know yeah. okay here here's the establishing shot okay everyone knows where they're at okay boom we're done i'm not doing any more until we switch scenes so um yeah you know try to find the middle ground like if you guys are new artists please try not to be lazy don't i don't recommend that method and and, and this is a personal choice and honestly i think it'll help you more than it'll hinder you uh, to do a little more work you don't want to cheap out your reader by doing only characters in in the book you know set it set the characters in a scene make them feel the scene and know where the characters are at when they're doing whatever they're doing and then you could minimalize um, as you go but uh, remember uh, just be wary of your camera so wherever your characters are in that scene you need to be mindful that if you change the angle what would you be seeing in that background if this was a movie and the characters were in a restaurant and then you're moving that the camera around what's behind them and that and that's something i'm always mindful when i'm doing my pages so it's like okay i can uh jip out on a background here because number one it's a close-up of a face so there's not much to do there but also they're facing the window so i can just draw like this curved line behind the character uh two curved lines and that kind of um, um acts as a reflection in a mirror and your colorist yeah. will know that and people looking at the scene will know that so, um, yeah, just be mindful of your characters in their scenes and what would 
what would actually be behind them uh, in, in when you change that camera. Please again, check out Procreate if you do have a digital device that you're working on. Um, it's a great app. I think back in the day, I think I bought it for five, six bucks. And then I think it's up to 15 now or something like that. But for what it does, it is fantastic. It's essentially like Photoshop Lite. And uh, if you're penciling and inking, you're straight. You don't need anything else. You can go to something like Manga or Clip Studio and there's more bells and whistles there where they can where they can do all these other things. But uh, as the penciler and inker and flatter, I find that I don't need any more than what I got there in Procreate. So you can get it all done there. You don't have to pay that monthly fee that you would if you got the Clip Studio. So that's something I just I'm just not with. I'm not into a monthly fee for something. It's just like yo, huh. you already I already bought it from you. Why am I still paying you? So yeah, let me let me tell you about my life exactly. Like that's. Because I have to always assemble PDFs and also do um, Photoshop work on the fly, I have those two monthly subscriptions. And uh, yeah, it may only get worse because Lance told me that I really have to have Adobe Illustrator. And I'm like, do I really? For uh, for lettering or for what? Uh, for everything. Okay. Because he's just like, oh, Adobe Illustrator is the standard. And I'm like, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, man. Let me. You're taking money out of my comics budget. <laughs> yeah, with with Illustrator, all your lettering needs, logos, etc., everything's a little bit more crisp, and so that's why I've always worked in Illustrator. Plus, that's um, you know, if you go on YouTube, um, you know, if you guys haven't heard that episode on lettering, you can go on YouTube and type in comic book lettering. You're gonna get some videos by Scott McCloud. So Scott McCloud will t teach you how to letter, and he does it in Illustrator. So that's how I learned, and so that's how I've always done it. Nice. Yeah, I letter in Photoshop. It's awkward and clumsy. Probably a, <laughs> it's a little awkward and a little clumsy, but it does get the job done. And uh, yeah, I get it done. Yeah. So it's fine. One less fee per month that you have to pay for. Exactly. I, 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 I queue up some death metal and then I just, before you know it, I'm done because I've been listening to death metal and lettering. <laughs> I was just talking to my buddy about that, um, about like streaming services. It's like we're all we all end up paying how much we pay for cable with all the different streaming services we have. Oh, God, yes. Unless you're, yeah. unless you're, uh, you know, you got some friends that are also cheap yeah. or smart. But that's, so that's also not our fault. That's just how the industry went. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not our fault that Disney decided to take all of their content and be like, no, you're going to pay us directly. You know, we we're just riding the wave that these other companies are making because they own the damn content. Yeah. I mean, it's all the cart world that we're living in now. Everyone wants what they want. So it's just like all these companies are like, all right, well, we'll give you directly what you want. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Disney plus, yeah, I, I pay for that and I pay for Hulu. My girlfriend plays for Netflix. My best friend pays for HBO max and Amazon. And, uh, we all walk away each month paying about 15 bucks. So yeah, yeah I'm, I pay more than that, <laughs> right? Obviously, yeah, you're doing it for one household. We're we're spreading you're doing it for one household. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're spreading the wealth. Um, so I got yeah, you. keeping it cheap or whatever. Um, but yeah, if you guys got any more questions on backgrounds or any other, what's difficult to you? What's difficult for you to draw and you have problems with? Maybe it's something I can help you with. Um, shoot us a email, makingcomicspodcast at gmail .com. Yeah. Cool, man. I think uh, I think that'll do it for the main subject there. You got anything else you want to add? Anything else you think that would be hard to draw that you want to bounce off me? Or let, let's flip it. You're asking you're asking someone who just drank an 11 plus percent beer to think. Let me flip it around on you. What's the hardest thing to do about writing? So that's the hardest thing to do about drawing. What's the hardest thing to do about writing? What is the well, I think I think that's going to depend on the writer. 
Is there some degree of variability to what's hard to different artists? Like, are some artists like, fuck that, hands are easy to me, I have a hard time with faces? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I basically was saying this one. I was like, hand, yeah. hands are kind of not easy for me, but they're not difficult for me. And I've, yeah. I've had people go, hands are very difficult, feet are very difficult. I'm like, feet, feet are not sure. difficult at all. But um, yeah. yeah, so it's just a very variable per artist, I'd say. Gotcha. So I, I think that applies here too. I'm going to be overly meta here. And I'm going to say the hardest thing to do is the hardest thing to do for you. You know, from a, from a standpoint of writing, what I learned from my instructor, instructor is that there are sort of three branches of writing. There is plot, there is voice, and there is character. Now in comics, voice tends to go the fuck away. Unless you can figure out a way to convey voice through other stuff. Because so much of like what novel people refer to as voice is how you construct your sentences. But you don't have sentences when you're writing a comic. You have dialogue and you have descriptions. And all the reader is ever going to see is dialogue. So in terms of comparing like like character and plot, I think it just becomes the thing that's harder for you. Uh, for me, character has always been the hardest thing. Plot is something I don't have much of a problem with. I love thinking of layered, dense, convoluted plots, you know, or maybe not convoluted. That's not fair. But like complex plots that play themselves out over time because I don't want to make convoluted seem like negative. I, I feel very comfortable thinking my way through plots that uh, other people might find elaborate. But where I struggle is and always has been with the character. So that's going to be the hardest stuff to write. The hardest stuff for me to write in general is the stuff that develops character. But once you know what's hard for you to work on, then you just work on it, you know? And I think in that way, writing is a little bit different than drawing because, you know, with drawing, I'd almost rather say like, well, if I hate drawing hands and feet, just figure out a way around hands and feet and draw all the shit that I'm good at because people will like that anyway. Yes. With writing, you, you can't really cover up your weaknesses that much. It's going to get obvious, you know. So it, it goes on a case-by-case -case basis. I mean, you know, this last issue of Kadoja, it's been a little bit more of a plug to write. But that's probably because of the mind frame I'm in as opposed to anything being particularly difficult. Once I sit down to grind through it, you know, it's it's the same thing. So the hard thing to write is the hard thing to write for you. So how do you get around that? So you you have uh, difficulty writing character. So so what's what's the method of you working on that? What's your process? How do you improve that? You can take it from a few different standpoints, right? When if you're first starting out writing, then if you're having a hard time going through character, I'd almost call this like the Johnny Depp method, right? Like Johnny Depp has gotten very popular. Or, or like achieved peak popularity because people loved the fact that he based characters of his almost wholly on other people. You know, the two most famous examples are that in Pirates of the Caribbean, he based his character on Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. And in the absolutely mistaken, should have never happened, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Why the fuck did you ever do a second Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? It was that he based it on Michael Jackson. You know, oh. so like that's that's this thing about Johnny Depp that like, oh, isn't that cool? He based it on that. So I would say for people that are a little earlier in their writing career, that's where you can do it. You can just pick a friend, pick somebody, pick somebody other than yourself, more importantly, 
and go ahead and base that character on that person and try to filter that stuff through that person. You know, I'm pulling from a bunch of different places here, but early in Mike Brian Michael Bendis's career, and he writes this in the back, I think, of the pages of AKA Goldfish, if I remember right. He talks about the fact that he would write the script and then he would get actor friends to come over and read that script and try to read it without rehearsing. And the reason is, if they read it without rehearsing, then they would put some of their little flair on it. So what he would do is he would then record the way that they said his dialogue and then rewrite the dialogue based on the tiny little bits of flair that they all added as, as a person. And that gave it a little bit of like... What's the word I'm looking for? Nuance. Like breadth. Mm. What's that? Nuance. Breadth. Okay. Yeah, nuance, breadth. It, it made it sound like it was coming from people other than Brian Michael Bendis for all five characters, you know? So there are a lot of ways around it. Those are a couple ways. I think as you get a little further along in your writing arc, you can almost start, to, you know, like when you've achieved kind of the mountain, then what you've done is you've researched a character so thoroughly that they seem to speak for themselves and things start to come naturally. But that's only going to come through experience and practice. You know, it's going to come through experience in observing other people and it's going to come through practice in you doing it. Um, I'm going to invoke as a final thought. Alan Iverson. Something that I've... What Alan Iverson, baby. We talk in practice. Step over. Yeah. No, let's talk step over. Let's talk practice. Let's talk, you know, (laughs) winning one game in the finals that makes Alan Iverson iconic because it was against the greatest finals team of all time. Anyway, (laughs) um, God, I lost my thoughts. See, don't, don't do this to me. Don't do this (laughs) to me. You said you were going to invoke someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who was the person I was going to invoke? Alan Iverson. We talk in practice. God. <laughs> that, that that'd be funny if this episode just went on like this for like six hours and that's all we ever did yeah um and that's something we talked about with gary uh when he was on and characters and potato chips and and just knowing things that they smell like you go yeah this character smells like uh, old spice or whatever and then you kind of get a idea of what that character is what they're about who they are because you kind of go through the process of your life experiences and people you've met that have those same aspects of their character. And so you kind of, you know, you fit them in, into that, that character themselves. The, the idea that I was going to say is podcasts, right? Like, like to me, that's an easy thing, you know, going back to this kind of Johnny Depp in, you know, taking one person and, and turning his character into that. Another thing you can do is, you know, we're, we're in a golden era here where all you have to do is find a podcast, both Scott and I are people that you theoretically could base a character off of. Now, please don't do it in a way that's obvious, but, you know, because because we'll sue your ass. No, I'm just kidding. We totally won't, <laughs> no. we totally won't do that. We don't have lawyers, <laughs> but... And we're lazy. We got too much shit to do. Dude, we're so fucking lazy. <laughs> exactly. By being in the podcast era... You have access to thousands, if not tens, hundreds of thousands of strangers that you can just base characters and things off of and speech patterns and things like that. And and once you start, you can then create, you know, you kind of assemble all those things together into something that might work for you in terms of creating your own unique character. And, uh, oh, this kind of goes back to something you talked about the other week was um, people people listening or watching like the popular term people watching yeah. 
So, you know, just checking people out, what they do, um, you know, sit in a coffee shop, listen to conversations, and then you can base characters just off of those conversations if they're interesting enough. It's like, wow, that guy has a really yeah. weird way of talking. Well, let me yeah. let me write this down, you know, to get a general idea. So when I go back to this, I understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'd even make the counter argument. If you're listening to someone and they're boring, I find that interesting. Because if someone just speaks in platitudes or the kind of stuff that you expect them to say, doesn't that tell you something about that character? I think us as writers, the second anybody just speaks in the kind of stuff that's like platitudes or commonalities, the first thing I'm thinking is you are hiding something. You are purposely covering up something. So again, you can make any of that shit work. And the only way you're going to make it work is just by getting out there, listening, doing. And again, to Scott's point, if you're eavesdropping, don't just eavesdrop. Try to figure out how the conversation's working there. What are they saying? What are they not saying by choosing the things to say that they are in fact saying? You know, not to not to use that too much, but there's so much nuance in all of our conversations and those nuances need to make their way into your dialogue because that's how people actually talk. So pay attention and and then you can go from there. I know that was a bit of a derail on character, but I mean, you did ask and I think you wanted to have the counterpart to like what's hard, you know? I don't think so at all. I think that's great. That's all character, character development. So the more like people's speech pattern, the way they, talk express themselves that's all part of character so that makes sense totally. to me uh side note eavesdropping what a weird word huh it's it's like you think of it okay where did this come from okay adam eve eavesdroppings so it's eve's shit <laughs> i don't know but but it's eves as in e-a-v-e-s hold on i don't i don't i don't think that it is i think it's eavesdropping like E V. Oh, okay. Well, that's not as cool then. I like my definition better where it's... Uh, I do I do like your definition better. Eve's but now now I busted out the dictionary. It's, it's, drunk, it's drunk dictionary time. Let's make this a whole thing. Let's make this a whole thing. Someday we'll look back on this and they'll, we'll see one fe- set of footprints. And that's where the dictionary carried us. Is it Adam carrying Eve? <laughs> Hold on. Not her droppings, you, though. <laughs> you would not believe how hard it is to look up shit in a dictionary when you're buzzed. I do believe it. Yeah, what a weird word. No, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, because you... Eaves, mm-hmm. eaves are the protective overhang at the lower edge of a roof. And Eve's drop is to listen secretly on the private conversation of others. So I'm trying to figure out... Oh, wait, wait, though. Eve's drop, E-V-E-S-D-R-O-P. So again, See? quoting Adam and Eve. But that's the place where water falls from the eaves. So I think those two are, in fact, connected. The eaves drop is where water falls from the roof overhangs. So what, is she sitting I, on the roof? What the fuck are we doing I there? have no fucking idea. I was hoping you'd bring that She's together. so scared of what Adam's doing that she started peeing, and so it's eaves droppings? I, I don't know. Who knows? Here's, here's what I'm hoping. What I'm hoping is that when I listen back to this when it airs, it will make sense to me, and then we can course correct this in two weeks. <laughs> I think everything's corrected. I think we're fine. I think all of that is fair. Yeah. Hey, can I can I bring up before we get out of here? Yeah. Can I bring up a, a weird ass dream I had? We've never done this before, but sometimes I have dreams that are so strange that I just have to mention them. And and this one has tickled me because of how weird it is. Now, look, listeners, I'm not guaranteeing this is going to be funny, 
I will say that I found it hilarious, but my sense of humor is incredibly strange. Okay. <laughs> so I had a dream where the end of the dream was not a dream, but in fact, me reading like a Sunday funnies comic. Okay. And, the, and it was a three panel Sunday funnies comic, like color. And the first panel was two. I, do you know what Gigan is, Scott? No. Gigan is a Godzilla monster from the 70s that has like one horn on his head and like a Cyclops visor and a buzzsaw chest and hook hands. Okay. Oh, okay. He also has a big goofy like pot belly pouch. So he looks kind of dorky, <laughs> right? So there's two Gigans just sitting there with their pot belly pouches looking all dorky. And in panel one, the one Gigan says to the other, I spoke to my wife yesterday. And then panel two is a silent panel where they're both just standing there looking at each other. And then in panel three, the same guy again says, there's a change in the infernal plan. <laughs> I find that so fucking weird. <laughs> is this in a dream? No. Yeah, this was a dream. This was an actual dream I had. I mean, there's no way I could create that. That's too weird. You know, like. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Is he, is he telling me about a Godzilla episode or is this really happening Okay, <laughs> you know, like, I, and I have no idea what that means. I have no idea whether the Gigan is in fact like plotting some kind of diabolical takeover, or whether the Gigan is simply talking shit about his wife by saying there's a change in the infernal plan. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that's it. It just I enjoyed that dream so so thoroughly that I've been telling everybody about it, and maybe one listener will find it funny, and that's good enough for me. I don't even care. It's fine. I <laughs> en- I enjoy it. It's very weird. <laughs> There's a change in the infernal plan. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, you got any you got any collector shit you want to talk about? You you laced me with something nice uh, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Um, yeah. So I had. Uh, so remember, I had mentioned the classic Golden Age Daredevil, and I'm waking up to these notices, and then when I click on them, they're already taken. Well, yeah, there I managed to nail a couple. So I got a couple myself. There were, I think the ones that are being taken are ones that are like around 20, 15 to $20. And so if it's 15, 20 bucks, it's gone. There's no way I'm getting it. But it's just like, well, a lot of those issues, I'm past them. I don't need them necessarily. There were a couple, but I managed to fill in a couple of gaps. So my goal, which probably will never happen, um, is to get Golden Age Daredevil one through uh, 50. And Ooh. yeah. Or and more specifically, one through fifty-seven, because fifty or um, I believe at fifty-eight, fifty-six, fifty-six, fifty-seven, fifty-eight, Daredevil stops appearing on the covers. So it's just uh, there are these other characters are called the Wise Guys. It's like a, um, uh, the Goonies essentially. It's just like these little mm-hmm. kids and and whatever. And Daredevil would always help these kids, right? So, but these I guess these kids were really popular, or kids comics were really popular. So they took daredevil out they left the name of the book daredevil but after 58 he no longer appears on the covers it's just these kids and so i'm like i don't need those i just need you know 56 and under whatever the number is where he's no longer on the cover so but i've managed to knock out almost all of the 40s and the 50s they're done okay yeah man so i i I filled in a couple of gaps there um it was like 50 51 that i needed and i got those and then I got a couple of the early 40s. So I think I need issue 41. And then I have all of the 40s and the 50s. And then I have a couple of 20s and a couple of 30s. But uh, okay, yeah, they're getting, those are getting pretty expensive online. So yeah. yeah. So I, it's time for me to make a bold proclamation 
that I probably will have written run back by the time this episode airs. It's been a good two months for me. It's been a it's been a hearty two months for me buying shit. <laughs> and so the bold proclamation here is that between now and the end of June, all I'm going to do is buy with with an exception, just kind of like a standard caveat. All I'm going to do is buy new comics in the shop. No back issues at the shop. No back issues on eBay. With the exception of like, if if a certain like key or two comes up, I'm going to keep my eye on those. I just shared one with you a little while ago. So if like there's a right price for that certain key, which is, you know, there's a million of those fucking issues, but you, they seem to be high priced anyway. Then sure, I'll 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 consider it. But like, I'm in that mood right now where it just it has to be a really amazing deal for me to pull the trigger on it. And a lot of that is because it's it's kind of two pronged. One, I have really gotten a lot of books and I have two enormous stacks of books that I just want to read. You know, that's the thing. I've really been tracking down books that I parted with and I've done a good job of grabbing a lot of comics that, you know, I got rid of, but I was able to get back cheap. And now I want to read them. And more importantly, I I think, Scott, you can relate and people out there who collect comics can relate. You get to this certain point where... All of a sudden, the comics on your want list are like, they're all fives out of ten. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, could I fill a run with that? Sure. But, like, it's not going to make me go to a store. And it's not enough for me to really, like, wow myself. You know? Like, there aren't any of those curb appeal top things where you're like, oh, my God, I have to get this. Um, so that's that's kind of thing number one. It's like, I've I've gotten so many of my wants that I just have a few little holes and run fillers that it's like, whatever, they'll be there, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is that if you look back on the last six months and you take a look at all the books I've purchased and then you identify which books out of those are the ones that have actually appreciated in value. It's all new books. For people out there that, that care or somehow want accidental tips on this, you want tips? Go buy a new book. Just pick new books you like and buy those things. Because the thing about back issues in general is that that value has been established. And given how COVID has made the price of collector level books on all levels explode, in general, the price that you're looking at right now is probably the price that you're going to see later. Yeah. You know, unless you just guess totally right. So, you know, the thing about these older books is that price is established. You know, like Daredevil Man Without Fear. I, I should mention that I really rang it out in style with this trip I took last week. And I just took a like a two-day overnight, um, you know, like two hours away to the, the, mid, the California coast a little north of L.A., like San Luis Obispo and... Um, Santa Barbara, Ventura, places like that. And I ended up going to three comic shops and found some comics and filled, you know, some runs and found some books I liked. But like, let's take Daredevil Man Without Fear. You know, like, that's a good book. Like, that's a good book to have in your collection. Everybody's got it. It's plentiful. And the price is pretty much established. Yes, if Marvel announced a TV show based on Daredevil Man without fear, it would it would rocket up a little bit in value, but I don't think it would skyrocket in value because there's so many of them. So in general, the book the the value there is established. You know, if what you want is to take some shots and get some books 
that you like and maybe have them appreciate and value, then I think the best way to go is just to buy a whole bunch of new books. Go to the comic shop every Wednesday, see what came out, get the books you like, and odds are one of those books is going to take is going to take off. You know, and uh, maybe multiple books like that. And when I look back, you know, like I had a random thing happen a couple of weeks ago. I had actually stopped all my subscriptions to the Star Wars books since War of the Bounty Hunters ended, which incidentally was sort of lousy. Like I was disappointed in War of the Bounty Hunters. And I pulled all my subscriptions to Star Wars. And then I came in one day and they had pulled a, an a issue of Darth Vader for me, even though I had stopped. That issue is worth 15, 20 bucks right now. Huh. Why? Because they did an alternate cover with the Mandalorian and the child on an issue of Darth Vader. You know, like it has probably nothing to do with it, but they made that like a variant cover and then everybody in the world wanted it. And what was cool was my comic shop held it for me. You know, like they had had it in my holds for a couple weeks and people had come in and asked and they're like, sorry, man. I only have one and it's on hold for somebody and that somebody was me. So nice. I thought that was really cool of them. I mean, that's when you know you found a comic shop worth keeping that you should do everything in your power to stay with. But that is sort of, um, it illustrates the point that the new books, you know, like here's another great example, right? A recent book that just disappeared off the shelves. If you happen to love Black Panther and you have a copy of Black Panther 3 on you, congratulations. That's a $25 book right now. And the reason is because it introduced a brand new character. So the second any of these things happen, people lose their mind. You know, so I think Scott mentioned, you mentioned Iron Fist last week, right? On the podcast. And like, that's another one where, you know, you just have those things are selling out and you have value skyrocketing and stuff like that. So again, you know, if if what you want if, if you want to go for like kind of the, the duo facta, what would that be? Like the double facta, not the trifecta of getting a book you like and hoping that it goes up in value. Just latch onto some new books and grab them. And then if it goes up, it goes up. But in the meantime, you got a great book for yourself. So that's going to be my mantra. I'm going to, you know, dig through these massive stacks of comics that I have accumulated. And hopefully by the end of June, I'll be ready to go and I'll be motivated to you know, and, and I'll have a nice want list to go back into the back issue bins and, and uh, dig a little bit more. Cool. Um, yeah, my, my tip to you guys is uh, what Keith said there, but also talk to your comic shop. Ask what's what's hot right now. What what stories are what stories are really good, you know, and, and those are the stories that will be worth it uh, in the end. Like um, I was collecting Thor because uh, the, there was a Thor series. It was by Jason Aaron and Mahmoud Azrar. And uh, that thing, I believe it was Mahmoud Azrar or. Are you talking about the one from like 10 years ago? Yeah. 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 Isad, Isad, Ribic. Isad Ribic. There you go. That's who it was. Isad Ribic. I'm sorry. Mahmoud Azrar does a uh, Conan. Uh, Conan, not Conan. <laughs> There's two different guys. Conan. Uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So anyway, um, so I was collecting uh, Thor because I heard it was a good series and that, and the art was amazing. And I was like, Holy shit, the art is good. And the art is, the art's amazing. And the story is excellent. So I just happened to be reading it because of those elements and issue one and two are worth like a couple hundred bucks or something, right? Something crazy. Yeah. So is issue five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On. So you just stick to the stories that are good. You know, at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, we can play stocks and bonds with comics all we want, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. You're just guessing, but you might as well yep. at least get a good story out of it. Just find out what's good totally. and uh, roll with that. 
Uh, but I think, totally, man. yeah, I think that's good for this episode. We're already uh, at uh, way. Oh, we're rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Way past the hour here. So um, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I have now made the transition to where basically five out of six days I'm putting a new post on Keith Invader. And then the sixth day, I'm just keeping Kadoja Kaiju going. So you can still follow Kadoja Kaiju. I encourage you to, especially if giant monsters are your thing. But if you want to just follow me and giant monster books and all the other books and stuff I do, then that is Keith underscore Invader. And you can find my comics, Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda, at accidentalaliens.com. Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night. And Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs, at accidentalaliens.com. I would be remiss to not mention keithrfoster.com. So, yes, I encourage you to go to keithrfoster.com. But where I really encourage you to go is to Kickstarter and to take a look at the Three Protectors kickstarter which is going on right now take a look at volume one i'm super pleased with it i i imagine that when you take a look at the art and sift your way through it you're going to be interested in it again we did a really cool like minimal color treatment there it's super sci-fi it's super kung fu it was a blast to write and hopefully it'll be a blast to read for you so yeah check that out and uh and if you feel so inclined back that project when's it uh ending probably going to end on the 21st or 22nd you know we like to do a 15 day kickstarter but we might also do 22 on this one just depending on our vibe so either the 22nd or the 29th depending on how it ends up going but you know it just launched now and uh, one of the best things you can do for kickstarters is not only back them but back them in the first day right on and uh, if you got any questions, comments, concerns about this episode or any episode we've done, any topics you want us to tackle, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us a note there, uh, some kind words, whatever you feel like doing. What else could they do, Keith? Uh, well, they can go to Apple Podcasts and they can give us a sweet review there, five stars and or some nice words. And we finally both read that review by Lucification was the uh was the apple user so yeah man thank you so much um again it it i've read it a few times over these last few weeks and uh it's great to read every time you know it's a really nice review and uh, and we appreciate it you know so again we look at these things and you know it goes back to the whole like fuck the algorithm gods you know you own them they don't own you so yeah man five stars and or a nice review um is always a plus on apple podcasts and here's what Lucification said. So uh, you gave us the five stars. He said, these guys are great. The topics are interesting and insightful. The beer and sports talk adds another level, making it feel like you're hanging with friends, talking about things you love, other than just someone talking about uh, talking to you about a subject. I enjoy the artist and writer side of comics. This gives well-rounded perspectives of any subject they are discussing. They also give enough time to dive into a discussion, but at the same time, it doesn't feel forced or drug out. I think this is because of the friendship Keith and Scott have that give this podcast its unique and fun nature and make it one of my favorite podcasts that I look forward to weekly. Uh, keep up the great work. I will support by listening, purchasing books, and backing your Kickstarters. Cheers, my friends. Uh, thank you, Lucification. That was an excellent review, so we appreciate that. Yeah, man. And and we appreciate you supporting the Philadelphia 76ers, as you're clearly saying between the lines there. 
You know, like, I, I know you didn't come out and say it, but we all know it, you know, so it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, no one's supporting the Lakers this year. This is brutal. <laughs> Laker fans are like, man, fuck the Lakers. This is the, I was just talking to my Laker buddies about it, and this is legitimately the least amount of basketball I've watched since 2007. Like I, th- it's it's like I think on yeah, average, it's really weird. I think on average, I I have seen eighty to ninety five percent of the Lakers season every year since two thousand seven. Yeah. I miss very few games. This season, I think I watched ten percent of the games. Like it's it's, rough. it's like it's like an absurdist experiment in basketball. It's like the Lakers owners are just like, what can we do to. <laughs> to turn you Laker fans off as much as possible and test your fandom. <laughs> you know, like, how about we put a completely unwatchable product on the floor? How does that sound? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Can I interest you in that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to see who the real, you know, like, this reminds me of um, two bands. Two bands who purposely did records to alienate fans. Uh, Nirvana did it with their record In Utero. That was actually Kurt Cobain purposely trying to alienate bandwagon, bandwagon fans who had jumped on with Nevermind. And uh, Pantera also did it, I think, with the record The Great Southern Trend Kill, which was they're basically like, sorry, fans, fuck you. We want to make a record that's like as unlistenable as possible and that makes as many of you jump off our ship as possible. Just completely bizarre. But, you know. Those are two pretty unique people that were like the figureheads of the lyrics and stuff of their band. So, and that's what the Lakers are doing. So, congratulations. <laughs> you know, like you're invoking in utero by Nirvana. So, well done. Well done. Russ Russ Westbrook is heart-shaped box. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Yay, yeah, yay. Yeah.